Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Josh. Welcome to 52 and 52. Um, so today we're going to be doing a little bit of a journalism podcast. Um, if you guys haven't been with us before, thanks for listening. The way we do pods is uh, we see one movie a week or or more, and we try to do a podcast about it, and therefore we got our name from 52 and 52. Um, so today, like I said, we're going to be talking about Truth and Spotlight, uh, two journalism movies that just recently came out, and just compare them and, and how they fit into the bigger picture. And I think that we're going to start with Truth, because we have a little less to say about it, and Spotlight's kind of the bigger um, picture, and we got a lot more to say about it. So we're going to start there. So the plot behind Truth is pretty simple. Um, Mary Mapes is the producer of 60 Minutes when she worked with Dan Rather and there it takes place in 2004 um, what happens is they're doing a story on George W. Bush and his time in the Texas National Guard and whether or not he reported to duty or didn't report to duty or left or got admitted without reason all this stuff so basically they're just doing research into this story and it turns into a big shit show whether or not the documents they found are real or forged or uh, what they said about George W. Bush is true or not. And it turns into a big investigation and leads to basically everyone at CBS that's working for 60 Minutes getting fired and then Dan Rather retired on his own. Um, and that, I mean, that's the basic plot, really. It just goes through the story about the producer. It focuses on Mary Mapes, played by Kate Blanchett, and Dan Rather is played by um, Robert Redford. Robert Redford. And that's the story. So I think Josh wants to go ahead and start first and talk about it, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I had mixed feelings on this movie, and I don't know if... But I, I think I might have liked it less if I hadn't seen it three days after I saw Spotlight, because I think part of what I enjoyed about it so much was just the contrast to Spotlight. And like I said, we'll talk more about the plot of Spotlight later, but Spotlight was a story about something that was mostly successful, a journalism investigation that, for the most part, went very well. Whereas with Truth, it was kind of the exact opposite. So me being a former journalist, at least student journalist, I don't want to put my put myself on too high <laughs> of a pedestal here, but I went to journalism school and I have experience in journalism. And so it was kind of fun for me to see, one, an example of a group of reporters doing something very well and then the next group doing like the exact opposite of that and uh, really not being very careful in the way they went about reporting things. And I think the biggest, and I, I enjoyed seeing that contrast, and I enjoyed seeing depicted how a news segment like that gets put together and some of the shortcuts they took and why that led to their downfall. But I think probably the biggest problem of this movie for me is that it was based on a book written by Mary Mapes. So we're getting a very, very one-sided look at this, and I think the movie is asking you to kind of really sympathize with the reporters and... I don't think that's ex so I think it's really told from her perspective and they're asking us to really respect the job they did and it's almost comical at the at the end where her downfall it's turning the people that are kind of responsible for her being ousted there into almost cartoonish characters with the way they treat her and I just have a hard time believing that it was such a black and white thing and it made it look like they were the good guys and the people on the other side were the bad guys when they had actually produced a rather shoddy piece of journalism. And I think the movie kind of would have been a lot stronger if it had maybe been a little more equal in presenting both sides because when something goes that poorly, then the other side has perfect reason to be very upset about it. And that was the that was the one thing that kind of jumped out to me about it. I, I, I had other stuff I liked about it, but I think that's kind of the, the way in which it struggles the most, if you will. 
and I think Kate Blanchett's really good. She's one of the best actresses working today, and she gives a very lived-in performance. But the other, the next worst thing about this movie is the one thing that kind of hurts her a little bit is that the it is told in a way that is very melodramatic and over the top, and on the nose. And I think the the, the biggest we both had a very very hearty laugh at one point in the movie where. Uh, she is very getting very excited after she receives a very positive piece of information that is very clear to the audience by looking at it exactly what this information is. But then she writes down on a piece of paper for us to see exactly what that what <laughs> happened. She gets confirmation from a source and she writes source, source name confirms. confirmed on a piece of paper. So <laughs> this movie feels the need to letters. spell everything out and do it in a very dramatic manner. And I think that kind of undercuts some of the performances a little bit that didn't really need any help from little extra tidbits from the script and direction if you will yeah i just thought there were some parts that just didn't really respect the audience maybe or the intelligence of the audience and it was just too like there was nothing subtle about the movie i don't think dumb people are going to go see a movie about this subject matter sure but that's what i'm saying like it was there was nothing subtle about it it was so you said on the nose like everything they literally wrote things down for you to see and focus the camera on a piece of paper just to make sure that you double down on what on what uh, you were seeing er, and hearing, and it was just is rather annoying. Did you me. feel what I felt about that? Like maybe it was a little bit too on the side of the reporters. Oh yeah, it was so so on the side of the reporters. I I mean the the thing is they didn't even bring in these like top level CBS people until like halfway into the movie. That's another problem. And they didn't even. I hate to keep saying about developing characters, but there's one point in the movie, like probably an hour in, where they showed this third female character, and I thought she was the same exact person as the second female character until they they were sitting in a room side by side together. They didn't even know there were two different people. It's one ironic thing about this movie, and I'm going to talk more about it when we get to Spotlight, but media companies can get rather bloated, and that's there's been a lot of... Uh, as the media industry's kind of hit a rough patch, people have been losing jobs. But there's so much middle management in this movie, who you just—they're just nameless. Their faces—I I was about to say nameless, faceless. Their faces are there, but they may <laughs> as well not be because you can't distinguish any of them because there's all these different people. How many? How many people does it take to put on an investigative news show? You have her, you have her whole team, and you have maybe like one supervisor. It seems like she's reporting to, but out of nowhere, then you have these two middle-aged brunette women that kind of come in and. You don't know what their jobs are, why they're there, but then you're supposed to really care at the end when they get fired too. And it's, wh- why? Yeah. I, I, you, 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 yeah I, I, there's nothing wrong with criticizing character development even as much as we harp on it when this movie just throws so many people in there and then expects you to just ex- know exactly who they are. Yeah, it was, it was character overload for sure. Because they didn't develop the team enough. They had, no, not Topher at all. Grace got the most time, and he was the, probably the, the, the worst <laughs> actor on that team of people yeah, there. I meant to say this during the synopsis, but I was going to say that Topher Grace doubles down on the worst performance of the year in this movie from American Ultra. Kate Blanchett's team of uh, her, her reporting team to report on the story includes an, a, a few other groups of reporters she brings in. Uh, one of them, played by Dennis Quaid, is a guy that's been in the military before, so he has some expertise, but I guess he's consulted on news pieces before, so he's there. There's Topher Grace, who plays a journalist that she's worked with before that's been kind of relegated to working gossip magazines, and she gives him another shot. Then there's Elizabeth Moss, who's kind of a journalism professor in Dallas, and which is where Mary Mapes was based out of. She recruits her to help. 
Uh, and they gave Topher Grace the most to do, and he's the weakest performer out of everyone oh on that team. God. And I don't understand why they made that decision. I may, maybe he actually had the most to do in real life, but I'm sure the other people had more to do than what they showed. So for the sake of this movie, maybe give Elizabeth Moss a few more scenes, give Dennis Quaid a little bit more to do than just saying typical like Texan military man things because he's a better he's a better actor than that. You could have kind of spread the wealth a little bit more because they give they give Topher Grace like the the big juiciest scene out of all of them. He gets to go on some kind of rant at some point. Do you, I don't remember exactly what point in the investigation it was about. Why it was it was so it was right when they said they were doing. Then they were going to investigate the story from with the third party, and then he's like going upstairs. Right. I guess he's coming back to work on a Monday or something, and he forgot his wallet, so he needed someone to help pay the taxi. And then they're like, "Hey, you're not allowed in the building." And so he goes like, off. Why? He gives a rant about. <laughs> just how the other people kicking him out of the building are the worst and the future of journalism and everything. And it just, it's, it's, he, he doesn't nail it, which no. you really need someone capable of doing it for a scene like that. And there are so many other mid thirties actors out there that I was trying to rack my brain to think of who else could have played that role. And I was just, I kind of came to the conclusion I would have been happier with just about anyone. Yeah. Anyone. <laughs> I would have liked the nameless faceless guy. It could have been someone I'd never guy. seen before. Sure. that just could deliver dialogue without being a weasel. I yeah, guess. he was he was just terrible, and they didn't even use Elizabeth Moss at all. And Dennis Quaid's character was almost like cartoony and Disney like, like he was smiling and telling like corny jokes in every scene. It was so strange, honestly. And I think, and on top of that, you already you're already not giving them enough to do, but then you're giving them very predictable dialogue. I think Anthony kind of filled in the blanks about four different times <laughs> of, of words that he knew were just coming. I wasn't thinking that far ahead, but there was all these little callbacks they thought they were being very clever to about things that happened earlier in the movie. And it's, it's like you wrote yourself right into this spot just so you could say that word right there. And your priorities probably aren't where they should be. When when you're that predictable and you when predictability is like something that you're struggling with and it's a true story – a true story we know that it's going to we kind of know it's going to happen but then when we still complain about the predictability of it on top of that you weren't being creative enough in your writing yeah and actually i think it's interesting that we're going to talk about this probably with this movie and more with spotlight with the these journalism type movies i think that you at least for me i kind of separated spotlight as the real story and then judging it as a movie as the producer and the director you're making a movie regardless you're not writing a piece you're not making a new story so you're making a movie and it has to work as a movie along with doing what you uh, like doing the message of the truth that you're trying to tell no pun intended and why do you think truth wasn't successful at that though uh just because well who why why does it matter who cares i didn't the end was you didn't think this was a story worth telling necessarily well i don't even think that it wasn't a story worth telling but i think the, the maybe the cooler parts to see would have been the aftermath of what happened. I think one thing I would have liked to see was more on like the criticism that they received from the other news broadcasters or like just because they referenced like bloggers like 16 oh, times. I didn't think about that. In 2004? Like, yeah. I don't know if bloggers have that big of an influence that they would be freaking out about bloggers in 2004. Yeah, and I, I guess I would have just... Because they like make a big deal about the backlash they're getting, but they don't really show us any of the backlash. They show like clips of a couple TV shows. Yeah, and but it, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like anything. It was more their. It was more their reaction to the backlash because everyone's criticizing these documents that they recovered that they did not do a very good job of vetting, 
And that's one of the things I thought was interesting about this movie is seeing what all goes in to the minutia of like one story and how that can lead to your downfall if you don't properly get everything vetted beforehand. And they had to go through so many steps with so many document experts. And then you had to, they, you could grab onto one thing like the superscript of a typewriter, and that is all you need to be able to successfully come back at the people criticizing you. And I, and I kind of enjoyed that part of it, and I enjoyed seeing the reaction a little bit, too. One, one of my, I don't know if it was something that was actually said. It may, I think it might have been more of the screenwriters wanting to comment on modern media, but I did enjoy when Dennis Quaid's character said at one point, after their first story had been reporting, and then someone else is reporting on it, and he's like, oh, this is, this is all that reporting is going to become. It's going to become someone else reporting on what someone else reported on. And I'm doing a, we're both doing a research paper for our classes right now, and it's one of the things I found kind of interesting in doing this, even if I'm not enjoying the process of having to write a 25-page research paper for class. It's interesting to me as a journalist to go through, and then I, I find an article that I want to use as a source for my paper, and then that article doesn't actually do any original reporting because they're linking to another article, and that, that article actually got it initially from another source, and you have to go through about three different steps to find it. And I thought that was an interesting way for them to comment on the, way, the, the direction in which journalism was heading because it's fewer people are going to take the time to really do the original reporting, and everyone's just going to try and jump on that and repost stuff online to generate their business. And that was an interesting observation the movie made, but it's just surrounded by so much other stuff that it doesn't really stand out that much and doesn't isn't overall meaningful enough to make this a better movie. Yeah, it wasn't. It was a almost a throwaway scene mm-hmm. or line too. I, and so that was like one moment where it's like maybe you want to capitalize on that and dive into that a little more. Yeah, and what that means. Yeah. So I mean, I, I definitely like this movie less than you. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I actually would have I I thought about it a little bit. One thing that I think I would have really liked was. So they're doing this whole investigative process of Dan Rather, Mary mm-hmm. Mapes, and then Dennis Quaid, Elizabeth Moths, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moths, mm-hmm. and Topher Grace. Mm-hmm. And they tell us, like, I think there's one or two scenes where Topher Grace is telling Kate Blanchett, like, what they're asking him. And I think I would have rather seen, like, a, a set of the lawyers asking a question and then them panning to four different scenes with the other four people answering it in different ways or something instead of just hearing about it. I think it would have been interesting to see what those four people would have had to have would have what, said what about, said about, about Mary and how they felt about her. And that would have been a little more character development with, or, or as a team, like maybe they didn't have, maybe they didn't together. have access to that information because maybe they make may, it up. Maybe. Okay. It's a movie. I mean, she make up make up stuff for. You think those five people didn't? You think those five people didn't like help with the movie? If it's a book about from her perspective, I mean, Uh, I was just throwing a possibility in there. I guess that's the way they decided to tell the story. I mean, I'm just saying, like the stuff with her in the in the court in the whatever room you want to call it with the lawyers was pretty fine. It was well done, I guess. Mm Um, some, some of the I thought it was a little over the top. But oh, ma- for ma- sure. Ma- the lawyers were definitely that was what, written That was, that was part top. of what I was getting about, about this being something from her perspective. I just have a hard time believing. And yes, they, they kind of get at maybe these lawyers are they're being retained by CBS, and CBS is... Uh, they, they, need to, they, they really need to just get this to go away because they, Viacom has some kind of in bed with the Republican Party in some respects. So I can see why maybe they were coming in trying to find her guilty I, but I thought that was so random way too, over though. the top that's what Topher Grace's rant was yeah, about was the Viacom, Viacom thing but they hadn't even talked about it before really and it just was like all, all of a sudden yeah, out of the once, blue it was a big thing once things started closing in on them they maybe should have made that clear a little bit that where some of these pressures are coming from aside from just yeah. trying to issue a correction to a story yeah because I think 
Robert Redford says something about how 60 Minutes was the only like profitable news program that was going on at the time or had been going on at the mm-hmm. time. And I think that it's interesting that 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 that, that is true. And but they don't really show like where the loyalties reside for the top people. They're just like, oh, we gotta these people messed up. We gotta fire them all. And then why? Maybe like, have a few more scenes developing these executive TV executives and showing the pressures that yeah. they're under. So it just doesn't seem so out of the blue when they're kind of on a witch hunt. Yeah, yeah, uh, I would agree. What about what do you think about Robert Redford? Just Dan Rather. He was fine. I enjoyed him because yeah, he's he was fine. He's such a. I, we haven't seen. I haven't seen a ton of his old stuff, probably as much as I should have. I've seen, The Natural and Butch Cassidy when I was little, and maybe maybe a couple other things. And aside from that, it's more recent stuff. I, I, where he's actually had a fairly busy few years for a guy that's pushing eighty. He had all his lost a couple years ago. Some people thought he was getting an Oscar nomination for that. He was in Captain America, Winter Soldier. Don't forget a walk in the woods released this fall he is kind of like a larger than life character at this point he, he he's so instrumental in the sundance film festival and still really doing a lot of things and has such a massive filmography and i thought it was really appropriate to have him playing a guy who was larger than life to a lot of the people in the movie because you could just see the effect that dan rather had on everyone i actually enjoyed the first scene with dan rather and topher grace or, or Robert Redford and Topher Grace on the airplane just to see yeah, how nervous yeah. he was. I can kind of see how that is, but then, like you said... But it was then, Topher Grace then, in the scene. Well, that didn't even bother me. He plays Weasel well, and I could see <laughs> someone asking, play, being all Weasley if, as soon as they meet like a young reporter meeting someone like Dan Rad, Rather, but then they then, then they had to go do the on-the-nose stuff like we talked about it earlier, and the next time they talk, it's very, very corny and about who is your idol growing up. It was you. There's something like that. And why, why can't that first scene to say all it needs to say about it? But it was kind of funny because Dan Rather being would be very, very – he's up here. That other reporter is like way down here. And then Robert Redford's like way up here and Topher <laughs> Grace is way down there. And I enjoyed that kind of contrast. Not that that was intentional on their part, but it was kind of funny just to see the disparity between what those have accomplished in their career. It just seemed appropriate <laughs> to have someone that like Robert Redford who is just so much bigger of a – thing than the rest of the people in these movie playing Dan Rather who is like so much bigger of a thing than the rest of the journalists portrayed yeah no I think he played Dan Rather well he doesn't even have to do a lot just to make that side that that's kind yeah. of why I thought it worked for me is because yeah. it's a larger than life guy playing a larger than life guy opposite yeah. all these other it was people. almost like a casual performance for him it was understated which is fine yeah. when you have other people like going way over the top because the movie was asking them to do that so I think that's why I appreciated it yeah yeah um and so then they had Bruce Greenwood Fresh off his uh, holiday vacation, what love was his Mad Men character's on, name on Mad Men with Joan Holloway? What was I don't name? know what his character's Rachel? name. Rachel, Richard. Richard. He was the worst. Wasn't was it he? season seven? Probably the worst character in that last season, as far as quality of person. And here but he's a he's a he's a rather famous guy, right? So and they have him playing the top CBS executive. I mean, he's a I knew his face. I wouldn't have told you his He's character name, actor Bruce Greenwood, sure. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's fine. But, then they just like throw him in there, just like another executive. I was like, oh, here's another executive. Okay, and then, I don't know. That was the thing. I, I just wish they, they're trying to tie all these scenes together, tie all these people together. You're trying to figure out why is who, what is everyone's interest in it, but they just have all these executives sitting in a room, and yes, they were real people, but maybe just at I, – not that I wanted to sit in that theater for another 15 minutes nope. for this movie. I know you didn't want nope. to, but m- – Add ten minutes, five minutes, five minutes. I think is all it would have taken for us to just know who these people were. And 
I just knew that that's the dude from Mad Men, and he's the president of CBS. These two brunette ladies have something to do with the show. This guy with the mustache is like the supervisor <laughs> of 60 Minutes, and he's apparently really upset because he's new on the job. And this it's his is first project. Yeah. It's his first project, but he doesn't. He's not actually doing any work on the project, as far as I can tell. So I don't know why. Like she pitches the initial story to this guy with a mustache, whose name's Josh. Ironically enough, I, that's all I remember about him. His name was Josh. He had a mustache, and he's there when she pitches the initial George Bush story. She reports back to him in like one meeting. And we don't know what he does for his job besides that. He's a guy that probably would have been fired the next time CBS had to go through some layoffs because he did nothing as far as I could tell. And there are just too many people like that in this movie. Where it's, what, we don't know your job. Why are you here? Yeah. I was going to say they could have cut off like time from the Cape Blanchett daddy issues thing that was horribly developed. They could have taken time off from Cape Blanchett sitting in her room reading blogger comments that were not that hurtful and then freaking out about it internet maybe in 2004 they didn't understand how stupid internet commenters were and maybe 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 i'm being rude and she should feel bad about what was said about her and obviously they don't show like the worst things ever that were said about her but like that scene was way too over dramatic do you have anything else you want to talk about with this no no i'm good the one thing i'll say is because we're about to talk about a movie that's very into the oscar race uh, and Kate Blanchett's probably getting probably getting an Oscar nomination this year. Some people are talking about that it might be for truth. And I wouldn't be upset if she got nominated for it because it's still a rather thin category with Best Actress. But it sounds like her better chance is going to be Carol, which is com- coming out sometime in the next month. But she had a pretty busy year and has two movies that she has two well-acclaimed performances for. But there's a good chance if I like Carol, I'm going to hope she gets it for that instead of this because I enjoyed her in this, but I don't think the movie served her very well. No, no, I think she she overplayed it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the actual Mary Mapes is telling her to Maybe. do it. There's or just not, too many but... scenes with her like throwing herself on a bed and like groaning. Yeah, and just like, I don't know. I don't know how the journalism stuff works, but like she was like all jumpy and like freaking out at telephones when she would get information that she wanted, but I, I mean. I guess that's well. That reminds good, me but... of one of the things I want, want to talk about before we finish up because it's not like they're on a hard deadline. But the fact, the one, one of the things that I did think about that I w- wish I would have mentioned a little earlier when we were just talking about the implications of this movie as to journalism today was one of the other scenes that I thought was really interesting was when they were talking about when they were going to have to schedule it, and they talked about I think it was Survivor, one form of Survivor, and then. Another, I can't remember Some, what the like, thing was. show, play, or something was on. Something. There was a few reasons why they couldn't schedule it for when they wanted to, because shows that actually make mo- make more money than 60 Minutes, I guess, for the for CBS, such as Survivor and something else of that ilk, they were going to preempt 60 Minutes, even if it was a story about a presidential candidate that was up for re-election in two months, possibly weaseling his way out of Vietnam. They said, nope, not as important, so you guys can either wait to run this thing till after the election when it's going to be a lot less noteworthy, or you can have it done in five days. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. How come the producers don't get blamed for rushing the story? And maybe that's why some of the higher-ups at CBS were kind of in trouble, because they didn't uh, allow the proper time for this story to develop. But that's one of the other things I thought was kind of interesting and a little, a little prescient about the film was that you see where media companies' priorities are going to lie. They're going to try and make money at the expense of quality journalism, and that caused them to rush this. They probably should have just... I mean, that doesn't exonerate the reporting team. They could, they, they probably should have just said, nope, we can't get the story done in time. We can't get the proper uh, sources on the record. But that was one interesting thing is you're kind of seeing the beginning of where quality journalism kind of takes a back seat to just the bottom line of the company. And 
the far-reaching effects of that, which and, is one thing I thought was kind of interesting. But like we said, they probably didn't delve into something like that enough that would have been interesting, and they focused on other stuff a little too much and didn't execute that other stuff well enough, whereas there were these little bits and pieces of the modern journalism industry that I thought that tidbit seemed interesting right there, that seemed interesting right there, but instead we kind of went up back to other things that weren't as fun to watch. Yeah, and that was a contrast with Spotlight, which was, nope, we don't have it yet, we're going to take our time, we're going to mm-hmm. keep researching, and we're going to wait till we have every single fact and every single thing we need for the story correct and, and um, sourced. I think that's a good transition right here if we want to yeah. move, move, move on to the next movie. Do we need to do we need to give the listeners a few seconds to pause if they haven't seen Spotlight? Yeah, yeah, we'll give a little 10-second break here. All right, so uh, we're back now. We're going to be talking about Spotlight. So Spotlight is a movie by Tom McCarthy, which was... Who actually is on season five of The Wire? If you ever seen it, he plays the journalist guy. That's really weird. Plays Scott Templeton. Scott. <laughs> and um, so basically, this story is about the Boston Globe in middle two thousand one, early two thousand two, writing um, with their r- specialized writing team called Spotlight, which was um, four special people who had their kind of like own office and own little uh, segment or column, I guess, and they would just do like longer more investigative research and and write stories about it um and so basically this story is just about them looking into uh the catholic church and issues with catholic priests abusing children and their reporting on it and their subsequent story and reactions and there really isn't much else to say plot wise about this movie i don't think besides that no the what, what one of the things i want to talk about about this movie that i thought was very even more timely just because of what happened in the last week before we saw it what made it very timely and interesting was that this is a this is a movie about investigative journalism in a time where the economics of journalism don't really allow this kind of thing to exist as commonly as it probably should to for the for the sake of just society in general just within the last two weeks we've seen one the death of grantland at espn which is one of the spots at ESPN that did they had a they have a couple long form writers there. One named Jordan Kahn who wrote a ton of great pieces for them and probably only wrote once every three three or four months because he was off doing stories kind of like the one in Spotlight. And then also my home my hometown news newspapers, the Philadelphia Daily News and the Philadelphia Inquirer, just laid off a ton of people in the last few weeks. And ESPN laid off about 300 employees in the last few weeks, but just for various reasons, it's just not a great time for journalism and here in spotlight we see these people take i think the movie picks up august or july or august of 2001 i think it's it's, july it's it's at least a couple months before 9 11 because they're working on the story for a little bit before 9 11 hits and they don't actually publish it till january i think yeah Yeah. it was either so it takes place or the first week of january it's about this group of reporters who over the course of six months put this story together that has uh, just an amazing effect by the end the, the the end of the end of this end of the movie they have about seven frames of victims that came forward in yeah, the aftermath of the story of- in response to this they already had the, the whole movie was about them getting everything together necessary to publish a story in which they had about 80 confirmed victims 87 i think 87 to 90 confirmed victims 
And after they published it, they had hundreds more come forward. So you see just the impact of this piece of journalism that took six months to do. And you can't imagine many newspapers outside of the New York Times today taking the time to let five employees do nothing that sees the page for that long. When you think about how much that cost, even in 2001, I'd say you have an editor who's been at the paper for over 20 years, and then you have four other writers, and if you add their salaries together, that's probably cl- probably close to $200,000 worth of employees right there who do not produce a single word of you for six months. And I can, can't imagine any newspaper in today's climate being able to do something like that. So the whole time I'm watching this movie, like I said, I'm a journalism person. I never quite did this kind of investigative work in my day, but I did some longer form stuff, but I did it because I was unpaid and I was a student and I didn't need money. But the fact is, these are people working in a real climate, and I'm just kind of sad the whole time I'm watching this movie. I really enjoyed this movie, and it's one of the best, if maybe the best I've seen this year. We'll talk about our rankings for movies and where this fits in a little later. But I'm just kind of like sad and a little... I'm just thinking the whole time I'm watching this, no, this cannot happen today. I just don't know how a, a, a newspaper cannot subsidize this kind of work today. And that was kind of the thing that was really present in my mind the whole time I was watching this. Yeah, no, I would agree. And, and going back to what you said about journalism today, you you just talked about Grantland and ESPN, and those are online companies. <laughs> Where they and, had trouble monetizing it. And yeah, and, and, and yeah. print's already worse off than that. Mm-hmm. So. It just in, in, in terms of that and this being 2001 and, and like Josh said, allowing uh, a team of four or five people to to take six months to write stories and, and you, you don't even know what the turnout will be after that. I mean, this story obviously changed and they wrote, I think I, I, after the movie they said 600 more stories. Yeah, just a ton of follow-up just, stories because yeah, so many victims Just about yeah. this topic. But I mean, as even if they're doing, doing investigative journalism, it doesn't always... Uh, mean that at the end of the day that that story is still going to make money so it's pretty crazy yeah you'd think this did have some good uh this this is about the as best as like uh investment like that could turn out for a newspaper based on that number you just said of all the stories they were able to derive out of this going forward but the fact is a newspaper could easily put in a ton of resources and write a story like that and then not have all of the benefits flow afterward like they probably did from the uh, priest, priest, childhood abuse scandal. Yeah, and I, I want to delve into this a little more now that I kind of got off my journalism sadness soapbox or whatever you want to call it, and talk about how they told this particular story a little bit and how how you thought the movie conveyed this and why it was so much more effective than Truth. It was obviously a different kind of movie than Truth. Like I said earlier, this is about a group that was mostly successful, but. Uh, what were your thoughts just in general on how they depicted the boots on the ground reporting that goes into something like this and all the pressures that they faced? Because Boston uh, is a town that is, what, I think they said 70% Catholic, and they're trying to do something that's going to make the Catholic Church look really bad. And obviously it's an uphill battle. So how did what, what did you think about how they told that story? Yeah, um, so I think that as far as journalism goes, from what I know, that they told it fairly well. I didn't think anything was over the top or anything was really um, just like kind of fell into place like so luckily like that it would in a movie. Um, I think the tension between both the people in the city and then the city as a whole and the church and the, and the reporters was very strong. And that I was, think throughout sorry. the whole movie like that was 
that was almost the better, the more, the part that moved me more than the than the actual reporting stuff, which I thought they showed well. But that's an easier thing to do, and just the, every scene with Michael Keaton, just about anyone. We should actually explain uh, what he each one played. Michael Keaton played the editor of the Spotlight team. Mark Ruffalo kind of played the lead reporter on the team. Yeah, I think he was the actual person who wrote the he's stories. He's the guy that yeah got the byline, and he's probably their lead reporter. And then. Rachel McAdams played one of the other reporters slash researchers, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name. I think it's Matt DeArcy, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that might be the actor's name. I'm not familiar with him, but he he was he was good, and he played just the 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 other guy on the team that kind of was out doing a lot of the secondary research, like Rachel McAdams' character, and uh, every, but Michael Keaton, kind of a guy, and they were all I think from the area and all had Catholic roots, but were all a little detached, so they didn't quite have the reservations reporting the story. Except Michael Keaton's character had been around for, in the community for a very long time and was very well entrenched there. Went to a Catholic private school where some of this, some of the priests in question had worked, and thus has a lot of friends in this movie and has the most connections to be able to get the best information, but. Because of that, those same people that he has the connections to are very, very. Uh, they're very uh, conflicted. Well, no, he's conf- well. I don't know if they're conflicted. They're just very. Uh, they're, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what the word is. I'm trying to describe, but they're trying resistant. to. They're trying. They're resistant to helping him, and they're very. Um, uh, they don't want. They don't want, them, they don't want them to write the story. Basically, yeah, they're 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 resistant sensitive. to accommodating them at all. They're, yeah, that's probably the word I was looking for. They're very sensitive to even broaching that topic of conversation with him. And every scene he has with a he has a friend that had was a lawyer that represented that represented the church in some of these matters, and he has to go over to talk to a few other people. And it's just, every time he just enters a he, conversation with someone, it's just it's so uncomfortable. But he plays it very well, and I I, I kind of enjoyed every t- seeing how he dealt with that because. It's not the flashiest performance in the movie. That's definitely Ruffalo, but his his was very difficult because he has to play these tense scenes and without overplaying it because he has to keep his cool at the same time. You can, but you can see how uncomfortable he is also, and I think that's almost harder to do than what Ruffalo was asked to do. Yeah, because basically you're just having to get the mannerisms down of mm-hmm. of basic humans and how they would feel in these exact situations and these like tense, awkward necessary conversations that you have to have with another adult male or female about uh, children being abused by people in the church. And it's just like almost unimaginable having to talk about it like that almost casually over a drink to to another person. Yeah, the subtle emotions that you're going to have to convey within the course of a conversation like that are uh, probably a tougher thing. I've never been an actor, but uh, you would think that's a tougher thing to do than just play straight up anger, which uh, Ruffalo has to do in probably the his equivalent of Topher Grace's scene in truth, but Mark Ruffalo is one of the best actors working today. So that, that was sold a little bit better, but I just was a little more impressed with what Keaton had to do in those scenes. Yeah. I thought Keaton was really, really good. I know we're going to get to the award stuff either mm-hmm. later today or in another podcast, but mm-hmm. I guess it, I think they're going to bill Keaton and Ruffalo as supporting actor in, for this movie. I think it's been 25 years since any movie's had two people nominated in the same category at the Oscars, and that's what they're going for. And some people think they have a chance. Yeah, and so there was definitely a contrast between them, which I think was played very well. Um, and it's actually interesting to, to go back. The reason that they're writing this story is because they get this brand new editor at the Globe. Or mm-hmm. uh, editor, I guess? Just editor of the whole newspaper? Yeah, he's the... 
he is the executive. I, I'm, uh, there's newspapers have different terms for the people at the yeah. top because he's not the publisher because they go talk to the publisher mm-hmm. at one point in a pretty funny scene where they're trying to explain that they're going to go after the Catholic Church and yeah. it's probably not the publisher is more responsible for the business side of the paper and I guess it was Leif Shriver plays the guy that yeah. you're about to talk to. He comes in, yeah. he's kind of the main, might be the editor in chief or the executive editor or something like that. But then John Slattery plays someone else and I was a little he, maybe maybe it was like he was the managing editor or someone right below the Leif Shriver character. But yeah, we have Shriver is the executive editor, and he's the one that comes in and kind of suggests, "Hey, you guys did a story that kind of mentions this. Why not we? Why don't we look into it more?" Because he's in there trying to cut costs. We talked about the difficulties of journalism and the economics of things. He says, "You have this department here that publishes one story or three stories a year. Prove me, prove to me your worth." Is yeah. essentially, and it's interesting because uh, I think was it Keaton has a dinner with Liev Shriver. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the movie and they're talking and Liev is kind of like quizzing him about the spotlight team and what they do and how they go about it and Keaton's character is almost like hesitant to tell him everything because he doesn't want them to get fu- like to cut the spotlight program but I like that scene because yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't know anything about Liev Shriver's character at that point so yeah. we think I, I really I tried I had avoided seeing a lot of the previews for this movie because I just didn't want to have I just try and avoid those things for the most part these days if I don't think it's a trailer that doesn't give anything away and so I didn't know what his character was going to be. I thought maybe he would just be like the heel and he would be the guy trying to, sh- to shut him down the whole time. And that's what you kind of think it's headed towards that in that scene. But this guy's a real journalism dude that just wants to get shit done. Yeah, and it's interesting talking about the like the connection. So this guy's coming from Miami and he has no connections to Boston. I don't think he's even ever been to Boston. And they make the comment about he's a Jew, so he doesn't care about going after the Catholic Church. Yeah, it has and, to be an outsider. And so it's, it's interesting. I think Stanley Tucci's character says it always has to be an outsider to see what's going on. And I think that while almost cliche that it's true, especially in this scenario, and Liev comes in and sees something wrong, and it's like, why is nobody acting on this? And he's like, can you guys write about this? And Keaton, I think Slattery actually says, well, you know, the Spotlight team usually picks their own work, and it's just Keaton, Shriver, and Slattery sitting in this room, and and Liev looks back at Keaton and is like, would you guys consider taking the story about the Catholic Church? Mm -hmm. And... And then they go back downstairs, and Ruffalo's super pumped. He always wants to write this, this like uh, c- controversial journalism. And then Rachel McAdams and Brian D'Arcy are just like Brian D'Arcy. Yeah. I think that's what, yeah, Brian. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. And I think that they're just like, uh, all right, well. And, and the thing is, like, they have no idea what they're getting into. And I think the the progression of that over the course of the movie is really, really, really well done. Well, yeah, and just seeing what it takes to put together a story like that. So they they essentially have. And one of the things I think is one of the strongest points of the movie that puts it above a couple of the other movies in my rankings that we're going to talk about later is that it doesn't it doesn't let them off the hook at all. This is something told from – essentially it's probably told from the same point of view in that like, – like truth. It's told probably more from the point of view of the people that – it's based on Mary Mapes's truth, but based on Mary Mapes's book, and this is probably the Spotlight team was more Tom McCarthy's source here. I, I read a lot about how they talked to him, and it's kind of funny you mentioned the Wire thing, and they, they were actually one of the things I I read an article from Vulture about how they were even the actual Spotlight team was a little guarded when he walked into the room. They said, "Why are you doing this movie?" So I thought that was funny, but that kind of told me that these were the people telling him about how it happened. So you knew that. He was going off of what mostly the people at the Boston Globe told him because you can't imagine the Catholic Church wanting to be a source for him about this movie. Yeah. So he's essentially has – just like the people that made truth, he's going off of the reporters on this, but he doesn't let them off the hook, and they're, you can tell they're trying not to let you sympathize with them. 
because they had almost all of the information necessary to do the story that they did in 2001 in 1997. And they make that very clear throughout the course of the movie. They ignored this one guy who started a small uh, priest abuse survivors. Yeah, called Snap. And, and, but like, essentially, this guy is a little eccentric, but he started a group about for survivors of priest abuse. And he had some other materials, and he went to the Boston Globe a while ago. He said, no, I'm good. Uh, they said, no, no thanks, but no thanks. You seem like a nut. And then they have this other character played by Billy Crudup, who they had had some interactions with in the past. And one of my problems with the movie is a little unclear exactly what that guy's motivations were. It was a little weird at first because I really liked the first scene because it made me appreciate his performance because I, I had no idea who that guy was because he was like so charming to them. And it's like, wait, this guy's actually the bad guy. But he did such a good job of putting on like this facade at first. But eventually they're having to get some more information from him about the cases that he settled with victims with the church because he was acting as a lawyer for these victims but more working with the church at the same time. And he kind of says, well, no, I sent all these names of the people. I I sent all these names of my clients to you guys like five years ago. So there's all these different people that say we gave you all this information a while ago. And it's brought up throughout the movie over and over again. So while they're doing all this good work, you're also reminded that these people aren't infallible at the same time. Yeah, which is important, I mm-hmm. think, to character development. Mm-hmm. And going so going back to, to Crudup, he plays mm-hmm. a lawyer, a fancy mm-hmm. big-time lawyer with slick back hair and everything. And I think you, you asked about his motivation. And I mm-hmm. think for me, he said, I, I emailed this to you guys and nobody did anything about it. And then it's like four years later – and he's even more in the mud with it, and he doesn't want to. He's like, well, well, you got. I think he's just like confused as to why they're caring about it now when he tried to care about it before. So and you, he almost like accepted it too, and now he's even more in the mud and doesn't want to. So you read it come as, off as a bad guy. So you read it as at that point five years ago he didn't have as much to lose, so he was willing to send the stuff. Then, yeah, because I think then, he, I think he had a problem with it. I think it was clear to me that he had a problem with it. Five years ago and today, relative to the movie, and then they didn't do anything about it, and he kept going on with his work, okay. and became like. I was wondering why he was so resistant, and then he's like, "Well, five years ago, I gave it all to you. Well, it's like if you gave it all to them, why were you so reluctant?" Because it was help like twenty, now? and now it's like eighty-seven. I got you. I got you. So you know? make him a course. Yeah. Got you. Okay. I, I, that's that's what I took about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and. Uh, where else was I going with this next? Okay, well, I, I kind of touched on the beginning of their investigation, and they, they kind of have to use this. They have to use this guy that this guy that the Globe brushed off five years ago that started the the support group, played by a guy named Phil Saviano. That's the character's name. Is yeah, Phil he's Saviano. really good, that actor, and he gives them the names of a couple of different people, and then they also at the same time their starting points are him, and then a lawyer played by Stanley Tucci, and I, I really have a, uh, I really thought he was really good in this. And because he he is he has a lot of range. I, yeah. I just because he transformed into this. I guess he was Armenian. I guess he's an Armenian Jew. So you think of like Stanley Tucci there, and then Stanley Tucci in something like The Hunger Games. And I randomly go back to Stanley Tucci in Easy A. I don't remember if you remember him in Easy <laughs> yes. A, or he played Emma Stone's dad. Yeah. And I thought he just played this regular suburban dad very yeah. well and seemed like a normal dude. Where and I've seen him in stuff so much before where he's over the top. So I'm like, this guy can play a suburban dad. He can play a big city Armenian Jewish lawyer, and he can play some weirdo, crazy dude in a dystopian universe. And yeah, he's I just fucking thought that awesome. was really good because I didn't even recognize him in the first scene. I knew he was in the movie. But for some reason, I thought he was playing someone with the church. I don't remember yeah. why I thought that. So it didn't hit me till the second time he came on screen. But this guy 
in that role, he has to play just so many emotions, and you know, he's very empathetic, but he's also protective of his clients, so he is very stern, but he has a lot of good scenes. But basically, Mark Ruffalo is trying to get information out of him, but then Rachel McAdams is going to uh, one of the first victims directed to them by Saviano, and I thought that scene was like amazing with the the first victim that she interviews and just how he opens up to her. Not that she has to really work to have to work to get him to open up, but I thought that g- guy played that the guy that played the first character she talked to, the first victim she talked to, was just really good. Yeah. So so two things. The first thing I would say is I like how they handled everyone's character. And what their job was relative, and it was never over over dramatized, over dramatic, dramatized. Um, so everyone, like it was their job, you know, like everything they were doing, it was their job, and it was never too dramatic for them to to be in a situation or to react the way they did. Like Tucci's character is like, I don't know if I want to let you talk, because so his character is like representing victims of the of the priest abuse, and he's, I don't know if I want to let you talk to them because like it's damaging and Ruffalo's like I understand that and he's sensitive about it he's like but I want to I want I need to talk to them so we can get this story out and and every everyone's job at the globe and everyone else is is never is never too over the top um and then I think that the two uh, uh survivors that they interviewed the two guys those are the two best performances of the movie for me just I think. those scenes were that, yeah, that those, were that good yeah. for you mm-hmm and it was yeah, and I, I liked how he got to that point. You mentioned Tucci, and he's not over the top like get the hell out of my office or anything like that. He, he is kind of dismissive of him at first, but once Ruffalo keeps talking to him in a reasoned manner, and then he's because the spotlight team is supposed to be confidential. They're not supposed to say that they are actually spotlight because they don't want or working any, on a story. Yeah, that they 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 don't want anyone to know that like spotlight is going way deep in on the story, and that'll tip anyone off. So. But he eventually says, spotlight's on this. And when Stanley Tucci's character hears that, he says, wow, they're actually trying to do some real good work here, and I need to actually try and accommodate him if I want to help my cause at the same time. And then he brings in that guy, and that guy, the the guy that plays the client of his that he brings in is very, very, he seems like a typical Boston uh, Boston guy. Everyday man, Everyday yeah. Boston guy with the Boston accent. You think he's maybe going to be a hard-ass until... And just tell Ruffalo to screw off as soon as he starts trying to ask him about sensitive stuff like abuse. And he eventually kind of breaks down a little bit. And at first he's like says, you can't use my name in the story. And I didn't blame him for saying that. Absolutely but then not. He eventually gets to the point where it's kind of a cathartic experience for him. And he says, go ahead and use my name. And just the way they got him, it wasn't a sudden thing. It was a very uh, well-written and well-paced scene in which you kind of bought the transition he made over the course of that interview, which is what made it so effective. Yeah, I think the whole movie was well-paced and, and it was never rushed, and, and I think that's true about the actual story from what we've read and what we were what we were told and, and interviews and everything. Um, I actually thought that the, the score of the movie was really well done. I remember just the opening scene. I don't, I mean, I don't really remember the, obviously, the exact music, but I just remember when I heard it, I I noticed it, and it was, and it was very intentional and very well well done for. And each that opening scene, scene wasn't too on the nose or anything. Yeah, they, they only showed you enough to. I mean, I guess anyone seeing that movie kind of knows what's going on, so they didn't have to say that much at all. The because the, the movie takes place in two thousand one, and the opening scene is I think nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen seventy eight, I think. Yeah. And it's essentially in a police station, and you have like a. Uh, a reporter trying to come in and ask a couple questions and a cop being very dismissive 
and he says nothing's going to happen anyway. And they essentially show a little kid in a uh, holding cell with a priest talking to them, and then another priest in another holding cell. and Or not holding cell, interrogation room. And that's, like, all you need to know. Yeah, And exactly. it, it kind of gets the point across about the environment at the time and how things worked without actually explicitly telling you any of it and having to over-explain anything. And the fact that that was still the environment when if mm-hmm, flash mm-hmm. forward 23 years later a lesser movie and like a lot of movies we've seen this year would have had a voiceover saying boston in the late 70s was a whatever <laughs> kind of place and yeah that's that's how it was and whatever because like, so many movies over explain things these days and i thought that this movie was had a script that was very understated and in, in the right way and i still can't go over to the fact that like Maybe the best journalism movie in the last thirty years was written by Scott Templeton, and that's just, it's just so amusing to me. Is it? I don't know. I haven't. I, he's, he's the writer and director. N- no, 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 I know that. I know that. I'm saying, is it the best? in It the seems last like kind of what the that's consensus what is. Sure, but I mean, what what else would be considered? I I don't know a lot of journalism movies, and we'll get to this later. But I don't. For me, this still wasn't the best movie I've seen this year. So I mean, it's, I have a couple problems. Yeah, that that's, that's, that's what I was about to get to. What, what what do you think they could have done better? I had a couple things I also thought they could have done. So. I think that, I don't know, I, I think that I just wanted the movie to be a little more rugged, maybe. Um, I, I just don't know, as a movie, I just don't know how ambitious it was, it, even with the characters. I just feel like they played everything well, I just don't know how much they were actually given to do, personally. And I don't know, I just think that with the cast and everything, it just seemed... It just wasn't as, I don't know, it sounds bad to say, it just wasn't as like depressing as I thought it was going to be. Um, when I watched it, and I, I kind of just wanted to feel a little bit more than I did. I guess I was kind of depressed, like I say, but that's about my ties to journalism and just knowing well, that this Well, that's about journalism. That's about journalism. You just meant the story itself wasn't yeah. told in a way that was depressing? Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just, Would a couple more just, scenes like the ones with the victims have had done that for you? Because those were very well done, and maybe if they had just graphically illustrated the horrificness of the problem as opposed to being so tangentially focused on the reporting of this problem do you think that would have helped it for you if we were kind of had it put in our face a little more just how bad this was i think maybe one one scene that really 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 stood out to me was that near the end they wrote the story and they and it's there they show like it being printed in in the printing machines Mm -hmm. and thousands of copies coming out whatever so Ruffalo takes one of the copies to Stanley Tucci so that he can have it, right? And Because there was a scene earlier where he had a, a story written with him. Yeah. And then he gives him the, the newspaper, and Tucci's, like, getting ready to walk him out. And Ruffalo looks in this door, and there's two more. There's two kids and this mom in this room. And Stanley Tucci was like, well, there's another victim two weeks ago. And it's like... Well, the, he, no, he, the way that scene actually happened was, like, before... It's not... Ruffalo doesn't see them first... Well, Stanley Tucci says, Stanley Tucci's like, yeah, I got to go, though. I got to go meet with a couple more victims. And you yeah. thought maybe he was referring to the victims that they yeah, reported on the story, sure, the older people sure. in their 30s or whatever. And then they walk out after he says, I'm going to talk to two victims. And you see two little kids playing, two five-year-olds playing in a room. And I agree with you. That was actually said quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that was interesting mm-hmm. and, and really it was short and it was precise and it really said a lot than mm-hmm. that a lot of scenes and 30 minute scenes in other movies don't don't say so you would have maybe just liked a few more things just like that that reminded you just about the pervasiveness and the horrificness of yeah this. I, I i don't know i think so they ended the movie without really showing us the public reaction to or the city's reaction to the paper and everything right. but one thing that they did kind of show as like 
I don't know, just a maybe just a little projection of it was so Rachel McAdams' mom is like a super devout Catholic and is going to church all right. the time. She's like probably pretty old, like 60, 70, whatever. And Rachel McAdams has to hide. It's your grandma. The, her, is it her grandma? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Her and so Rachel McAdams has to hide what the story she's writing about. And then the day that the paper comes out, she puts it in front of her and they're sitting at the coffee table and Rachel McAdams is just intently staring at her as her grandma reads the paper and like she's so taken aback and is reading it so slowly and and breathing heavy and trying not to, I don't know, get angry or cry or decide if she believes it or not. And I think that was very telling and probably what a lot of the city felt. I'm sure there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be people saying you're wrong and they're angry and everything and people saying, finally, the Catholic Church is horrible. But I think this was a nice in-between little two-minute scene that they had. You're right. I hadn't even thought about that that much. There wasn't any part of this movie that I kind of thought that you could just cut this. I didn't think there was a lot of wasted motion in this. Yeah. But the fact is when so much of the movie is about that tension and how the rest of the city is reacting to what you're trying to do – Maybe you could have another t- ten minutes on that. Yeah, just to see I wouldn't have minded that. It would have it would have turned into a two hour and twenty five minute movie if they had done that. But just given the fact that so much of your movie had been about the tension with how the city was reacting to them reporting, why not just give us a little bit of a little bit of that in the reaction yeah. to it? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to make too much of a big deal no, out of it, but I, I would have liked to seen it personally. But obviously, yeah. it's McCarthy's choice. But I think the little nod with the grandma was was good. I just think it was it was so tight, and the narrative was so tight that it's it was a good thing. No, no, for sure. I just don't know if there was a lot of. That means there's just less room for, for I don't know, mm-hmm. a little more ambition maybe. But it was it was really good. The other thing I had a question or problem with was, so the big break for them basically was that Stanley Tucci, he's a lawyer and he files this motion and he gets these um, sealed documents. Um, into the public based on a mistake by the the Catholic Church's lawyer. But he doesn't tell them until an hour and a half into the movie. I just was confused. Yeah, if why he was, was he hiding If that? he really wanted to help them, why did he hide these 14 documents that were supposed to be public from them? until? Because he has no motivation at that point. He seemed very reluctant to even give it up in the first place. He told them off the record, and that's fine that it's off the record, but you could have done... I agree. I... I, I because I actually yeah. liked the scene with him and Ruffalo where they're sitting on this bench outside of the courtroom, but then it's like a very important It's a little bit scene. of a, it's a bit of a deus ex machina. Yeah, and and I don't know. I guess I was just confused since, I mean, we're both in law school. I was just confused as to his motivation or reluctance until that very moment he decided to, to, to tell them. A lot of lawyers talk about this movie, about their confidentiality and how they have to be very, they have, to, they have, they have a duty to their clients to not breach confidentiality but that that right there didn't actually that didn't present that kind of issue so i'm not sure exactly yeah i mean that didn't bother me that much in the moment but now that i think about it i don't exactly understand why they had to wait it's pretty important to the story yeah i just was i mean maybe i'm missing something it's possible that i'm missing something i'm just confused as to why that happens so late in both the story and in the in the in the movie yeah the one thing I would say that for, that was just a little bit of a problem for me that I scripts sometimes have a problem with, and there's a lot of referring to characters by their names when they're not on the screen, but not when they're on the screen, and that makes it a little hard to realize who is talking about who and what character you're talking about. And I kind of I got I got everyone straight by the second half of the movie, but in the first half of the movie there was a lot of that, and it might just be me me being a Jew and not understanding how the church works. But I was a little confused about oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. kept referring to Cardinal Law <laughs> yeah. and the 
the main guy at the head of the Boston Catholic Church, his last name was Law. So they're calling him Cardinal Law, I guess. Or and just Law in general. So, yes. Yeah, so yeah, I was saying, definitely confused so, until it so popped that, up on, that's a, its, on a TV broadcast yeah. and said, Church Guy, Cardinal Law. So that's its own thing, but it's separate from like the, the, the whole character name thing. That happened with some of the other regular characters a little bit more, like some of the lawyers that were involved. That they, they were a little hard to keep straight. The Billy Crudup character and the lawyer for the Catholic Church and even Stanley Tucci's guy after the only after the first time I saw him. I was a little mixed up with all that, but it was just really confusing because they kept talking about cardinal law, and I thought, are you talking about them being in violation of the Catholic Church's law, or are you just talking about the, an actual person? And that was a little confusing to me. For sure. Maybe that's not something that's the movie's fault. It might just be my fault for being a little ignorant. You don't need maybe. to. Maybe you don't need to actually explain religion to your audience, but that made it a little hard to follow at times at first, even though I ultimately figured it out. But I think that's something that where movies can be a little more cognizant of, and maybe make that a little more clear. The Ruffalo monologue, I wish it would have hit me a little more than it did. The The big thing in the newsroom when they decide they want to wait to run the story. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It felt a little bit like we need to get Mark. Childish we, we, a little bit. Well, maybe, yeah, and maybe it did happen like that, so I shouldn't – It's maybe it's not a valid criticism. Well, that's what I was saying but, earlier about the real story versus the movie. Yeah, and and maybe the, to me it, it did feel like it came out of nowhere and him acting a little out of character, but I could understand why he'd be upset because they'd worked so hard on it and they finally thought they would get to publish the story and now he's being told they need to wait. But in the moment it felt a little out of nowhere, like we need to get Mark his Oscar moment right here and let him do his thing. And like I said, he delivered it fine and it was a lot more convincing than Topher Grace trying to do something of the same ilk. But I, I wish it would have hit me a little harder and I think because that scene didn't hit me in the way that I was, it probably should have, I... Came away a little more impressed with Michael Keaton than I did with Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So I think that about wraps it up if you don't have anything else to say. No. Nope. You can find the blog at aclamwatchesmovies.blogspot.com. A-K-L-A-M, watchesmovies.blogspot.com. You can find me at Twitter at aclambake, A-K-L-A-M-B-A-K-E. And I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. And, and we'll be back with Creed and, and Room hopefully uh, within room. the next week or two. Thanks Shout for listening. Shout out to Movie Pass. Shout out to Movie Pass for again being our future sponsor.